right, thank you, ladies. All the music has been a blessing this morning. James chapter 5 in your Bibles, please. Uh, James chapter 5, you want to put your finger there, and then we'll look briefly also at Hebrews chapter 11 here in just a moment. The Christmas experience really is a gift of love to our community, and the community has recognized it. Uh, my wife, Marilyn, was telling me the other day that I think it was on social media, uh, the news here in Ann Arbor was pointing out the things to do this weekend and number one on the list was the Christmas experience in Ann Arbor Baptist Church. Praise the Lord. The Lord's honored in that. Uh, that's, uh, that's very, very special. It's a thrill to hear what the Lord's doing. Looking forward to the uh, candlelight service as well. And uh, let's really pray that uh, the Lord will bring them and that the Spirit will open their eyes and that people will be born again <laughs> as a result of it. Uh, wonderful. Last week, I was in uh, West Virginia. In fact, Sri Ram was with me at a uh, conference. It's been going on for nine years. It's called a Revival Prep Conference. And it was born out of a prayer meeting uh, that for some years has been going in north central West Virginia on Friday mornings. A group of preachers are praying for revival. And uh, the man uh, that started it, a dear friend of mine, he's with the Lord now. His son now pastors his church and has that same burden. And they've had a conference for the last nine years that deals with this matter of revival. This last uh, weekend, uh, they invited... I've had the privilege of being there every year, but they also invited, this year they always invite another guest, they invited the Sutera Twins. Now, uh, when I've preached on revival, I have mentioned here and there some of the history. Uh, I think a year ago I dealt with some of that, and in 1971, here in North America, there was a great revival called the Canadian Revival. Well, the preachers that were used were Ralph and Lou Sutera. Now, they're 91 <laughs> uh, right now, uh, so this was uh, uh, back uh, some years ago. But what an amazing revival. And they told us the story, how it, uh, the first night began with about 160-plus people. And seven and a half weeks later, now they didn't know the meeting was going to go seven and a half weeks, but seven and a half weeks later, four auditoriums later, they were drawing 1,700 a night, every night, and on Sundays, drawing three to sometimes 4,000 people. It affected uh, much of Western Canada. Went to the next city, the next city, the next city. And then a, another series of six weeks. And so I just kept going. And uh, spread in some parts of Eastern Canada. Uh, some of these sparks came down here into Michigan. Uh, some into Illinois, believe it or not. And uh, some into the state of Oregon. And some over into the country of Holland. It's amazing what God does. Uh, but these telling the story. Well, on Saturday morning, uh, they, uh, they did a session. Ralph Sutera did. I've known him for about 10 years now. Uh, he did a session on hindrances to revival. It was a great uh, session. In fact, uh, he was supposed to speak, and then I was supposed to speak, and then he was supposed to speak again. And uh, when they came to the break, it was well into the second session, uh, which was my session. <laughs> and I went up to the moderator and said, just skip me. Let this man roll. This is fantastic. Uh, God's anointing is on him. And uh, it was marvelous. Now, in that session of hindrances to revival, he had 16 points. So you think Pastor and I go along sometimes, I'm telling you, 16 points. <laughs> you got to hear these guys. Uh, but uh, uh, one of his points was praying in unbelief. And I think from the testimonies given in the next 48 hours from that morning, that that truth hit home to more hearts than any other truth. Praying in unbelief. Ever done that? Well, you pray because you're supposed to, but you're not really expecting God to do anything. You're just fulfilling a duty. So let's look at our text. We're going to look at James in a moment, but let's begin by looking at Hebrews chapter 11 at an interesting statement 
Hebrews 11 is sometimes called the Hall of Faith chapter, and you have a number of men and a number of ladies. So I love this. God uh, uh, hits uh, uh, both genders here uh, that uh, exercise faith. And you come to verse 33, and it says, Who, referring to these men and ladies, through faith, uh, then skip two phrases, obtained promises. Now, I just want us to consider that phrase, who through faith obtained promises. Now, we'll get to James here in a second. That means that promises are not automatic. They demand faith. Who through faith obtained promises. We'll come back to that thought later in the message. Now look at James chapter 5. And I'll begin to re read in verse 16. Confess your faults one to another. Now I've never seen anybody use this verse as their life verse. <laughs> we don't like that. That's what it says. There is a context to it. I get all that, but, but I don't, I'm not going to go into that. But nonetheless, confess your faults one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. By the way, the words for healing in this passage, when you uh, study them throughout our New Testament, uh, at least half of the occurrences, if not more, are not talking about physical healing. They're talking about spiritual issues. We've got to grab a hold of this. It's a wonderful passage. But it goes on to say here, pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, friends, that's an amazing statement. This is not a prayer of unbelief. This is a prayer of faith. In fact, we see the phrase, the prayer of faith, just a couple of verses earlier, and it's literally the prayer of the faith, a specific uh, a prayer based on specific faith. And we're told here that the effectual fervent prayer that has faith in the equation avails much. It actually makes a difference. Now, friends, that's powerful. I want to speak this morning on prayer that obtains promises. Lord, I pray that you'd bless our time this morning together in a very special way. Thank you for already stirring our hearts song after song and what we've heard and what we've sung ourselves. Now, Spirit of the living God, would you stir us? And not just stir us, would you bring us to faith in those areas where we need to exercise faith right now in our own journey with you? Lord, use truth to set free and to, uh, to make a difference. Lord, use truth to bring people out of bondage and into that freedom that is in Christ. Lord, if there's someone who doesn't even know you as Savior, Lord, open their eyes and, and may they uh, see that Jesus does save and put their faith in him today. Lord, whatever our need, meet the need. I do plead the blood, Lord, protect us from the attack of the enemy who hates this truth that we're about to look at this morning. So, Lord Jesus, we claim our position in you on the throne and in your name. Exercise your authority over any powers of darkness that would seek to hinder at this time and trust you that that not be allowed. Lord, speak to us. Shake us out of lethargy. Shake us out of apathy. Lord, in the world in which we live in right now, open our eyes to who you are and give us a God-sized vision and a God-sized faith that there might be another God-sized demonstration of who you are in our generation. So Lord, breathe on us now. Meet with us now. May everyone know that they're hearing from you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a little kid back in 1966, I was four years old, and we moved from Durango, Colorado, southwest Colorado, uh, I was four, into the city limits of the south side of Chicago. 
<laughs> and that has meaning for anybody who knows the turf. <laughs> well, for me as a four-year-old, you know, four-year-olds, you're just going along with whatever dad says or whatever. You know, you're just oblivious to, that you just, you just had a tragic thing happen to your life. Uh, you moved from Durango, Colorado to Chicago. But uh, I, didn't, I wasn't aware of all that at the moment. Now, for my oldest brother, I have uh, uh, two brothers, two sisters. My oldest brother, he's eight years older than I, so if I was four, he was 12. And uh, that was a big deal to move from the mountains of uh, the Plata Range, or the, the, the Plata Mountains in the San Juan Range in southwest Colorado, and to move from the ranches and the cowboys and the horses and the Colorado trout streams and the ski slopes to cement. <laughs> that was a big change. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, he went, uh, he was put into the Hubbard High Public High School, south side of Chicago, a lot of schools in Chicago. He was at Hubbard High. And as a freshman, uh, that next year, he made the freshman basketball team starting lineup and uh, so on. Well, over that next year, maybe a year and a half, uh, my parents began to notice that the, the pull of the world was affecting his, his heart. He was already saved, but they could tell. You know how it is when there's that kid in junior high and they got this bright face and they love the Lord and a year or two later the lights are out. It's a tragedy. And you see a darkness come over that countenance. Well, that's what had happened. And so my dad called his mom, my grandmother, because... She knew how to pray. Now, let me just say this. She was a regular woman. I knew her as a child. She laughed. She giggled. She cracked jokes. She just was a regular person who learned to trust in a great God. But my dad called her and asked her to pray that God would do something to get a hold of my oldest brother's heart and awaken him to the reality of Jesus in his own life. So my grandmother began to pray. Now, in the providence of God, Dad was getting ready to go to the Bible lands. He did that often. And uh, so uh, uh, the trip was planned and, and uh, so forth. Well, after a few days of praying, my grandmother called my dad. And she was just rejoicing in the Lord. So my dad's name is Wayne. My oldest brother's name is Wayne, Wayne Jr. So uh, uh, she, she said to my dad, Wayne, this is wonderful. God has spoken to me. Key words. And uh, uh, God has let me know, here's what's going to happen. Uh, Wayne Jr. is going to go with you on that Bible lands trip. And God's going to use it to get a hold of his heart. And uh, this is going to make the difference. And so she went back to clapping her hands, as she would do, and rejoicing in the Lord. Well, my dad said, well, well, well Mom, I, I, I appreciate what you're saying, but it's impossible for, for Wayne Jr. to go with me on that trip. Uh, everything's already scheduled. We're getting close to it. Uh, there's no more seats even on the plane. Uh, it's, it's, it's just not possible. <laughs> and my grandmother said something like, you don't understand. <laughs> God has spoken to me. Wayne Jr. is going with you on that trip. And God's going to use it. Well, she went back to clapping her hands and rejoicing the Lord. And my dad knew that whenever that happened, it's going to happen. God's going to do it somehow, some way. Well, sure enough, there was a guy on the trip 
who was scheduled to go, got sick, couldn't go, and I don't know how they worked it all out, but they, he worked it out, and he chose to give that ticket to my oldest brother. So he went. Well, it was at the garden tomb, and my Aunt Eleanor, who went home to the Lord last year, told me this part of the story. She said, I was with your brother Wayne as we were, you know, everybody was going into the tomb and taking their pictures and coming back out. And she said, uh, Wayne went in first. She said, I stepped in behind him. He was a sophomore in high school. And he looked at that empty slab. And she said, when he turned around, the tears were streaming down that face. As the reality of Jesus hit home to that heart. Ed Nelson had preached there at the tomb. Well, when they got back to the States, the first Sunday that they were in church, my dad preached, gave an invitation. This is back in the days when people actually walked aisles. <laughs> and my oldest brother didn't walk the aisle, he ran it. And my dad met him at the front. And Wayne said, Dad, God has called me to preach, and I surrender. Now, I'm going to tell you, he experienced a personal revival that immediately spread to the youth group. Now, keep in mind, this is in the early 1970s. God was on the move all over the country. I just told you about the Canadian revival, 1971, same time period. And I'm going to tell you, God ignited the teenagers at Marquette Manor Baptist Church, and uh, they got on fire. Now, the teenagers were in public schools all across the south side of the city. And uh, the youth pastor at the time, he told me later, he said, man, it was so amazing. They, see, the kids were witnessing, kids were getting saved, and uh, we would have these big uh, uh, youth inspirations and so forth. And, uh, uh, and uh, he said the uh, kids had started prayer meetings and Bible studies in the public schools, and it was, it was allowed to happen. They were doing it. He said, I had to go to a different public school every day of the week and meet with all the new converts and with the kids that were praying at lunchtime. He said, God was on the move. And I remember as a little kid peeking into the teen room and they would have this big circle, all these teenagers, and there's the youth pastor playing a guitar and, uh, uh, and they were singing these songs and they were on fire. I remember hearing the teenagers talking about so-and-so uh, uh, who got, got saved and now I need to pray for so-and-so. Well, over time, uh, we moved out to the suburbs and now uh, Wayne was a senior at Hinsdale South uh, Public High School. They they asked for a place to pray. Uh, they gave them the glass room in the inner part of the library, which means everybody would know if you're there. <laughs> and uh, uh, that thing was packed out wall to wall, got on the move. Uh, one of the big football players at Downer South uh, High School in uh, West Side uh, Chicago uh, got converted. And these kids, I remember hearing them talk about, oh man, we got to pray for someone, so uh, he needs to get saved. And then a couple of weeks later, hey, so-and-so got saved. Man, this is what's going on. Uh, now we got to pray for this, uh, uh, this one and so on. And I remember as a little kid thinking, man, I can hardly wait till I become a teenager and talk like that. It was a revival that this scenario started in one heart because of a prayer that made a difference. Now, friends, since promises must be obtained, as we saw in Hebrews 11.33, then you and I got to learn how to obtain promises. So what's involved? 
Well, note with me this morning three connected truths. I'm going to draw from a lot of uh, uh, Scripture to put this together, and then we'll see in our text this played out. But the first of these three connected truths is what we'll simply call divine purposes. Divine purposes. God has divine purposes. In other words, God has a will. God has an intention. God has a purpose. Now, how many of you would like to know the will of God for your life? <laughs> That's a biggie, isn't it? Do you know God does have a perfect will for your life and mine as well? And the reality is, if you ever want to know it, you've got to give up your will. <laughs> and often you don't know what God's will is for your life until you first of all do give up your will. But the point is, we're not talking about passivity, give up your will. We're talking about a will that says, God, whatever your will is, then that's what I want. So you're exercising your will to set, out, set aside what maybe you had pre-thought, and now you're going to embrace what God wants. Okay, the point is, God does have a will. And when you grab a hold of that, now there's power to prayer because 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, this is the confidence that we have in Him uh, uh, that if we ask anything according to His will, key phrase, He hears us. And if we know that he heareth us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. What an amazing statement. God has a will. However, God's will is not automatic. For example, when Jesus taught his disciples in what we call the Lord's Prayer, part of what he taught them to pray was to pray, Thy will be done on earth, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if God's will is automatic, you wouldn't need to pray that. Why pray, God, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Well, because God's will, though it is his will, is often not being done on earth. Take a look around. So God has a will, but it's not automatic. It must be responded to. S.D. Gordon, in his book on Quiet Talks on Prayer, points out that there's only two wills. There's God's will and there's Satan's will. People often ask, well, what about my will? Well, our will either lines up, <laughs> kind of sobering, with God's will or Satan's will. By the way, which of those two wills are you lined up with this morning? Because all of us either line up with God's will or we line up with Satan's will. Now, think about this. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2, 4, who, referring to God, will... Have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So let me ask you, is it God's will for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? Absolutely, is what it says. But do all men get saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? No. So can you miss out on the will of God? Absolutely. See, without the faith response, you miss out. 2 Peter 3, 9 uh, tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So is it God's will that all come to repentance? Yes, but do all come to repentance? No. So the point is, you can miss out on the will of God. Now, there are certain things that God does because he's God, like the sun rises every day. <laughs> whether we pray, whether we have faith or not, the sun rises every day. And, uh, you know, God doesn't let the boundaries of the ocean go sweeping over a continent and uh, that kind of thing. There are certain things that God does. But there are other things that in God's economy demand faith on our part or we miss out. So how can we access this will so that it's done on earth as it is in heaven? 
Let's move to the second connected truth. Not only are there divine purposes, secondly, there are scriptural promises. God's divine purposes are revealed through scriptural promises. So divine purposes, that's a matter of God's will. Scriptural promises, that's a matter of God's word. In 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. So here's this amazing statement of provision. That God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Wow, are we experiencing that? Well, notice it goes on to say in that passage, Whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises. Okay, so that this provision can be accessed through these promises because it goes on to say that by these, in other words, by a right faith response, you might be partakers of the divine nature. Now, this is a matter of the Word and the Spirit. Obviously, the Word, we're talking about scriptural promises. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the the Word of God. And that is that particular word that means the specific Word of God. Okay? So faith is always a response to God. Always. But it's never automatic. But faith does come by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But there's a lot of words in this book. How do you know which ones you can apply in a given situation? You know, sometimes people say, well, let me try this one a little like Russian roulette. Oh, let me see if this one works. Ah, it didn't work. People get disillusioned and walk away. And if they pray at all, it's the prayer of unbelief. That's why the Holy Spirit must be looked to. You see, the Word, yes. But who's the one who opens our understanding to the Word that He wrote? It's the Holy Spirit who convinces us. You remember what Jesus said when he talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit over in John chapter 16? He said that the Spirit reproves the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, this is fascinating because in Hebrews we, 11, we were just there a moment ago. In verse 1, it says that faith is the substance, that's the reality of things hoped for, the evidence, key word, of things not seen. The word evidence is dealing that with, with that which is proven. There's proof. Now, that's the noun of the verb that's used in John 16, 8, that the Holy Spirit will reprove. There it is. Prove, not rebuke. That's not the word. The word reprove means to convict, to convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So who's the convincer? Well, his name is the Holy Spirit. And later on in that very passage in John 16 and verse 13, Jesus said of the Spirit that he will guide you into all truth. Okay, so here we are. We have needs. God has provided. How do we know what provision we can grab a hold of and expect God to do it in a given situation? The Holy Spirit. He's the one who guides you into all truth. He's the one that opens your understanding. He's the one that convinces you, there it is, there it is. That's what you need for this. You see, that's critical. In fact, Jesus said there in John 16, He, the Spirit, shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine. He shall take of what is mine and shall show it unto you. You see, when the Holy Spirit opens the words so that you understand and convinces you, yes, you can trust me for this, in this situation, then he's taking of what is Christ and showing him unto you. Now, you're having an encounter with the living word. See, the written word 
combined with the Holy Spirit, the author, brings us to the living word. Now, faith is built. People did call my grandmother, just like my dad. Other people called her, sometimes missionaries in foreign countries, sometimes people across the country, and asked her to pray for different things. And again, we need to understand, she was a regular person, <laughs> very regular person. She just had learned to trust with simple childlike faith in a great God. And uh, uh, when, uh, when people would call her and ask her to pray, she didn't just randomly start praying. She said, I'll pray, I'll seek the Lord about it. But she would go to the Lord... And she would take her Bible, which for her was a very well-worn book. I hope your Bible is as well. And uh, she would start off, and I, I've heard her say this. I remember as a little kid hearing her pray, and, and she's like, oh, God, there's nothing too hard for you. And she would look up when she prayed. I love it. And, uh, you know, all the rest of us got our heads bowed, except for me, I was peeking. And she's looking up, and uh, uh, she's saying, God, there's nothing too hard for you. But as she would bring this request to the Lord, she said, no, so-and-so is called. There's nothing too hard for you. I know you can do this, but I... I, I need to know what you want to do. See, it's not strong-arming God. It's God, here's the situation. What are you doing here? See, remember back to that surrender to his will? That's the hardest part. That's where we often get mex messed up right at the beginning. But she had that surrender. says, God, what is it that you want to do? So what is it that I can trust you for? And when God showed her that, she would take it. And just like she called my dad. She would call others because when God would reveal his word, he was revealing his will. <laughs> See, she understood that, uh, that, that connection. Now, let me just say this. Sometimes we can want something so bad, so badly, that we interpret our strong desire. That's got to be the Holy Spirit. Not necessarily. And uh, sometimes we crash and burn. Boy, I'll, <laughs> yeah, I've done that <laughs> too many times. Where you want something so bad, you just, you know, God's in this, I know he is because I want it so bad. <laughs> uh, we don't say it quite that way, but that's what's going on. And we convince ourselves. Well, convincing yourself is not the same as the Holy Spirit convincing you. When you convince yourself, it's wishful thinking. That's not faith. When the Holy Spirit convinces you, that can bring you to real faith. Now, when he convinces, don't overplay it. It's not a feeling, it's a knowing you explain this it's, 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 God speaks to you he speaks to all of us there are times when you know God's telling you hey trust me for this and sometimes when it's an urgent matter and God speaks to you in a way where you know you're going to be disobedient if you don't see that's not a feeling that's a knowing feelings can be counterfeited on the soul level but that deep Holy Spirit bearing witness with your spirit, Romans 8, 16, that kind of communication is deeper than your soul. It is a deep knowing. So if you look inward, the devil can fake you out. If you look upward, the Holy Spirit will lead you. He will guide you into all truth. And so that's important for us to understand. So there's these divine purposes that reveal God's will. There's these scriptural promises that are a matter of his word. But that brings us... To the third connected truth. Believing, key word, prayer. Because we can all fake motions of prayer and not down deep believe. You see, God's promises must be obtained through faith. This is a matter of God's way. God could have set this up wherever he wanted to. This is how he set it up. That when he reveals his will to you and stirs you, trust me, you got to trust or you miss out. 
In fact, there's that phrase we already saw, Hebrews 11:33, who through faith obtained promises, indicating that the promises are there, they're revealing what God wants to do, but without faith you miss out. Wow. But faith is not a work. <laughs> so don't make this harder than it is. But it is a responsibility. Obtained promises. You know, in James 4, 2, it says, you have not because you ask not. Remember an older preacher telling me years ago, he's now with the Lord. He said, you know, when I get to heaven, well, he's there. And when I just, he said, I think one of the greatest regrets I'm going to have when I get there is when I discover all the things God wanted to do. And I missed out on it because I simply would not respond in faith. You know, isn't it interesting that the inspired words tell us in Psalm 78, verse 41, speaking of Israel's unbelief in the wilderness, it says they limited the Holy One of Israel. Now, understand the context. Context. God is God. You can't limit God. But in his economy that he set up, if he demands faith and you don't respond in faith, then in that sense, you're limiting the Holy One of Israel. Friends, there may be things that God wants to do that are just critical, they're vital, but they're not automatic. They demand the faith response. And if we don't, we limit the Holy One of Israel. We limit God in the sense that he's not going to do it because we're not responding in faith. It's what the scripture says of Jesus when he walked this earth in Matthew 13, 58. In a certain place, he did not many mighty miracles there because of their unbelief. Implying that if they had believed, he did done mighty miracles. Wow. That's why we need times of revival. Because in times of revival, all of a sudden God's real again. <laughs> all of a sudden you believe again. The moving of the Spirit at one of those churches in West Virginia earlier this year, following the Asbury revival, they've had several services that have been remarkable. One of them went four and a half hours Flowing out of that, people's faith has been stirred. God has become real to them. Certain ones that had certain problems and ailments came and asked, uh, uh, would you lay your hands on me and pray? They've seen some remarkable healings. A baby that had a stroke, now with no damage at all whatsoever for the doctors to find. A man who lost his voice because of cancer in his throat, now cancer is gone and his voice is back. That's pretty stunning, don't you think? And that's not the Gospel of Luke. That's 2023. God, open our eyes. I don't want to go beyond God. Forget that. That's the wishful thinking where you start with your will, trying to force it on God. That's what messes us up. But when you look to God, He has not diminished. Why do we leave all the miracles to the era of the Bible as if God can't work anymore? He's still God. And when there was a lack of the demonstration of God in certain eras of biblical history, they would fall on their face and say, God, we've sinned. We don't see your power anymore. And we say, well, you know, uh, we don't see God's power because, you know, it all ended in the book of Acts. It's called unbelief. Now, friends, the key is being in tune with the Holy Spirit. He leads. But when he leads, yes, he does lead. And that's when we can respond in faith. So there's these connected truths, divine purposes, God's will, scriptural promises, God's word, believing prayer, God's way, 
We can sum it up this way. A promise reveals the purpose of the one giving the promise. Just as when the parents in this audience promise to your kids you're going to do something, okay, that reveals your purpose. But that same promise demands faith from the one receiving the promise. Now, my son was born in 2002. At that time, there was a store. It's now out of business. I think Amazon put them out of business. But at the time, it was a thriving store called Toys R Us. Remember that? Now, actually, I remember when that store was called Bargain Town. Is there anybody old enough to remember when Toys R Us was called Bargain Town? Oh, my goodness. This is really getting bad. But I remember the commercials on TV telling us that Bargain Town was turning into Toys R Us. Well, at any rate, uh, some uh, decades later, when my son was born, because I was 40 when he was born, you know, uh, at any rate, uh, uh, you know, my son was brilliant. He could read. Yeah, if he saw that Toys R Us sign, he could read it. <laughs> a little kid before he could say anything else. Ah, Toys R Us, <laughs> and uh, so on. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we, had, we had a blast in that store. <laughs> I remember we'd go in there and we would play with the toys. <laughs> and uh, it was fascinating for me to see the toys that were still there from when I was a kid, like, you know, little barrel monkeys. And then all this new stuff that was so cool that they didn't have when I was a kid. And I was really having to grapple with bitterness for being born in the wrong decade. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> if my son saw that sign, you know, we travel and we're in that fifth wheel, we're going through a town and he sees that sign, oh, daddy, can we stop? <laughs> In fact, one time we were going through the town, it was, it, was, uh, it was a weekday, and I was in a meeting, and uh, it was just John and I in the truck that day, I don't know where Mary Lynn was, and John was in the, you know, the little car seat in the back, big old uh, uh, dual wheel pickup truck, and uh, I saw a Toys R Us sign coming. Now, I was on an interstate, but I saw this Toys R Us sign, I thought, man, I hope he doesn't see it, I don't have time to stop, and you know, kids don't understand these things, and oh, man, and then all of a sudden I heard this little voice pipe up from the back. Look what I see. <laughs> now, <laughs> there were times during that era of years when uh, we'd been be in a city where they had a Toys R Us, and I would tell John, hey, tomorrow, Daddy's going to take you to Toys R Us. Now, there's a promise revealing my purpose. But it does demand faith from the person responding or hearing it. Let me just ask you, do you think he remembered that? You better believe it. Next day, hey, Daddy, it's tomorrow. <laughs> Daddy, you said we're going to go to Toys R Us. Where are we going to go? Daddy, we're going to go now? <laughs> you know what that is? It's faith. And you know, as a dad, it's a delight when your children remember what you promised and they actually trust you to come through. And as human dads, you know, we want to. Sometimes we can't, and we live in a fallen world. But I'm going to tell you, our Heavenly Father, he, he can always come through. And he's waiting for us to say, Daddy, you said. You said. You didn't just say it here. Your spirit spoke. And down deep, I know. Father, you said. So he waits for us now. Be nice if there were some examples in Scripture of this. Well, there are. There's many. There's Daniel in Daniel 9. There's David in 1 Chronicles 17. But let's jump right into our text. It says in verse 17, Elias, that's Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are. You know what that means? It means if you met him, you'd be disappointed because he's just like you. <laughs> that's what it says. He was subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly 
that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And the passage goes on. Now, we first meet Elijah back in the Old Testament narrative in 1 Kings 17. In fact, he just kind of steps onto the stage. I mean, we don't know anything about his birth. We don't know anything about his upbringing, nothing. He just steps on the stage, uh, 1 Kings 17, 1. He goes into the king, King Ahab. Now, he was a powerful king in the northern kingdom of Israel. And he announces, it is not going to rain until I say so. <laughs> Can you imagine doing that? <laughs> Can you imagine busting into the Oval Office <laughs> and saying, it is not going to rain until I say I think sometimes we read these Old Testament narratives and it just kind of goes overhead. This is amazing what he just did. And somehow he doesn't get killed for doing it. Well, how could he have such boldness? I mean, people can be bold, but many times just brashness, it means nothing. How could he have such boldness? Do you know that the narrative in the Old Testament does not tell us but under inspiration in James 5, it does tell us. We just read it. He prayed earnestly that it might not rain. Before he ever went in and made that announcement, he had gone to God and prayed earnestly. Now, wait a second. There are times when we pray earnestly, you know, beat the floor, pound your chest, whatever. <laughs> and, you know, God, you got to do this. Well, it's not a matter of strong-arming God. Things that are good have to start with God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It always starts with God. So how could he do this? How could he pray earnestly that it might not rain? In other words, what was the foundation for his earnest faith? First Kings does not tell us. In fact, James 5 does not tell us. But by implication, Deuteronomy 11 does. Now, this was one of the Old Testament prophets, Elijah. He would have known the Torah, the first five books, the law. And in that reading, in that knowing of the law, because, you know, to be a prophet of God, you've got to know the law, uh, he would have come across Deuteronomy chapter 11. I'm going to summarize and paraphrase, but God says to his people in Deuteronomy 11, look, if you will love me, if you will trust me, I will bless you and I'll give you rain so that you have good crops and your needs are met. But then God goes on to say, but if you stop loving me and you stop trusting me and you turn aside and worship and choose idols and place your trust in wood and stone and metal, then I'm going to shut up the heavens that there'll be no rain. Not to be mean, but to awaken them to turn back to God so he can bless them again. What a God. Well, Elijah knew those words. If you're in idolatry, it's going to stop raining. I'm going to shut up the heavens that there'll be no rain. So why does James tell us that he prayed earnestly that it might not rain? You know why? Because it was raining. <laughs> in other words, they're in idolatry. Was Israel in idolatry at the time of Elijah? 
good night. They'd been in idolatry uh, ever since they became the northern kingdom. Uh, when Solomon's son Rehoboam, things didn't go well there, and the kingdom split. Uh, the northern kingdom set up the golden calves at Dan in the north and Bethel in the south, and they called it Jehovah, but God's not a calf. So they were already in idolatry for decades, and now Ahab is king. His wife is Jezebel, and she brings in Baal worship. I mean, they are in full-blown pagan idolatry. Israel was in apostasy. But it was still raining. You know why? Because promises must be obtained. And Elijah got that. So he prayed earnestly. I can almost hear him. God, you said, you said that when your people turned away from you and they, they start worshiping, you know, idols and, and, and idols of wood and stone. God, you said that you would shut up the heavens that there'll be no rain. Now, God, it's been raining. They've had good crops for years. Even though they've been in idolatry, God, you got to do something so that they awaken back to the fact that you are who they need. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. And God tells us in 1 Kings 18, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. <laughs> That God had moved and the people were now responding. They were ready. Then you have the whole contest on Mount Carmel and he prays again and the rain comes. Now, friends, what promise do you need to obtain? We already saw God's not willing that any should perish. Have you ever obtained that for somebody that you love that's headed to destruction? God. This is what you said. You're not willing to initiate prayers. But look, they're headed headlong right to hell. God, if you don't do something to awaken them, I've tried. But there's nothing happening. God, we need a supernatural touch. God, what can I trust you for? How about the backslidden kid? And your heart is broken. It seems like anything you say makes it worse. What do you think God desires for the, one of his own children who's backslidden to come back to him? Yes. And you know, we don't often preach on this because we always try to stay positive. <laughs> but Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain. You know what that meant? That's going to make life hard. Even for him. But none of it was mean. It was the kind of chastisement that comes from love to awaken per a person back to that which will help them. Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, Hebrews 11, Hebrews 12 tells us whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And yes, there may be times when we have to say, God, I don't know why this person just is so far away from you. Lord, the best I knew, they trusted you as a kid. They even, they even were on fire for you at one time. I remember when they witnessed and prayed. And God, they're now so far away, you can't even tell they're a Christian because unsaved flesh and saved flesh looks exactly alike. God, Will you do something? See, sometimes we just write them off. But how about going to God and say, God, what can I trust you for? I know you want to do this, but God, what can I trust you to do? And let God bring you to faith so that you can obtain the promise. Maybe you're here this morning and you're quite defeated in some area. Why not go to God about it and say, God, I know the provision's there, but somehow I'm missing it. I need you to awaken me. Whatever I'm missing out on here, whatever I don't get about this faith thing, whatever, whatever. God, I need you. Okay, that's faith. 
and God will guide you. You know, since COVID, a lot of people haven't led too many people to Christ. Isn't it time for that to change? Let's go to God. There's all sorts of promises about his power for witnessing, like in Luke 11, 13 or John 7, 38. God, can I trust you for this? Will you equip me with those rivers of living water that somebody can actually be blessed? See what God says to you. Yes. In the year 1854, before the great revival in 1859 in England, Spurgeon had been called to a church. This is before he went to Metropolitan. There was another church. I think it was New Park Street, I think it was called. He'd only been there about 12 months. He was a young preacher, and the Asiatic cholera hit London, and people were dying left and right, and he was getting calls all the time to go to the bedside of the smitten and uh, then at the graveside and and people of all ranks and religions were calling him and and uh and uh, so all through I mean, people are just dying he said he he said there was scarcely a day that he was not at a graveside funeral and he said one day he was so discouraged because he had lost so many of his friends and he felt in his body that maybe he was getting sick and thought he was going down too you know when you're around it you can think all sorts of things he said, in the goodness and providence of God, <laughs> he walked by a store, and here was this little poster on the window, but it wasn't an advertisement. He looked closer, and he saw the words from Psalm 91. Because you have set your love upon me, upon him who is my refuge, even the Most High, and made him your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. And Spurgeon said those words were quickened to his heart. You know what that is? The Holy Spirit. And then he said this, faith appropriated the passage as its own. And his depression fled, and he went home rejoicing, and through the remainder of that era of plague in London, he was rejoicing in the Lord, was free to go visit all the sick people, and was protected. Now, friends, good people get sick in the midst of plagues, but God spoke to him, and he appropriated, he obtained the promise. And so, let's do the same, whatever the need is, whatever plague is in your heart, whatever plague is in your family, whatever plague is just going on. I'm not just talking about physical. I'm talking about all the stuff, and we need God on the move. Ah, yes, faith responds. Just like Pastor gave the testimony when he said the word and you prayed about that wind. That's real, folks. God did that. And God wants to do so much more. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Friends, with our heads bowed, will you take some time to talk to the Lord? about what he's talking to you about. Let me do ask this. I don't know everyone here today. Is there anyone in this audience that was a preacher? I'm here today, but if I, if I died right now, if I died 10 years from now, I don't know I'd even go to heaven. I don't know my sins are forgiven. I don't know I have eternal life. That's not what I preached on this morning, but maybe that is your need. And you say, you know what? If there's a way to know your sins are forgiven and to know you have eternal life, I want to know that God's speaking to me. If that's you, would you raise the hand? Anyone at all? Our heads are bowed. I'm not going to point you out. I would like to know who you are. I'd like to pray for you. Anyone at all said, preacher, I am not saved. I don't know my sins are forgiven. Please pray for me. Anyone at all? 
And then, friends, if you know the Lord, yes, I see one. God bless you. Thank you for that honesty. You can put your hand down. Is there another that was a preacher? I do not know the Lord in salvation. I need to know him. I need to know him. Anyone else? And let me say this. If you do know the Lord, is God speaking to you this morning? On the one hand, may you rejoice in all the promises that have been obtained. Man, bless the Lord. Count them. Rehearse them. Talk about them. But maybe there's some burdens on your heart. And it's time to go to God and say, God, I know you can do this. There's nothing too hard for you, but I don't know if you will. And I can't create faith on my own. But Lord, if you stir me, then I'm ready to respond in faith and see what God does. See how he leads. See how he stirs. And then respond in faith that that promise might be obtained. In a moment, Andrew's going to play through a verse or two of a song on the piano. Would you take some time to talk to the Lord about what he's talking to you about? Even now as the music plays. Lord, we thank you that your word is truth, that it is the foundation for faith. We thank you for your Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. Lord, I pray that we would respond to what you're saying to us in this hour. And Lord, for that one who needs to come to know you, may this be the day. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. In a moment, pastor's going to come to close the service, but let me just say this. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I'm going to wait here at the front and as the service is dismissed, I'd be delighted to speak with you. And uh, you can settle this with God today. I hope you will. All right.